This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 118 for February 2018, with Costi Hinn on Defining Deception. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 118 for February 2018 with Costi Hinn. Costi is pastor of Mission Bible Church in Tustin, California. He's also the author of Defining Deception, Freeing the Church from the Mystical Miracle Movement, and that is the topic for this episode. Costi was saved out of the Word of Faith circuit and now seeks to lead others out of this dangerous and heretical movement. A few quick things to mention before we get to the interview. First is in regards to Echozoe Answers. I've done three episodes of of this short video Q&A show, and I'd love to do another. So if you've got a theological question I can address for you, please submit it for that show. Second, I'd like to ask for your financial support. Our annual budget is fairly modest, and we're not currently seeking any out-of-the-ordinary expenses. But we still need to cover the necessary expenses. Late last fall, I started a fundraiser to cover Echozoe Ministries through the end of this year, and we're almost halfway funded. See echozoe.com support for how you can help us to reach our goal while this year is still fairly new. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of the scriptures that we've referenced during the show for your own deeper study, and when it's appropriate, lists of additional resources on the subject and related episodes from the Echozoe Radio archives. You can find the show notes for this episode at echozoe.com slash 118. With that, here's my discussion with Costi. Costi, it is uh, such a pleasure to have you on Echozoe Radio tonight. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate so, it. Yeah, so um, we've already kind of built up a chemistry in the last 10 minutes just getting set up for this interview, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to me have heard your story and are familiar with your background and stuff, but for those who haven't, why don't we start out a little bit with your history? And you've got a, a name that, that uh, rings bells, and, and that's a big part of your story. Yeah, I uh, grew up in the Word of Faith and Prosperity Gospel Movement, and uh, worked actually in the center of it all with my uncle, whose name is Benny Hinn, the guy in the white suit, mm-hmm. uh, who's on TV and a, a global televangelist. And so uh, growing up in it, we had all the bells and whistles and the benefits of being involved in the prosperity gospel. And uh, we had a massive, just under 10,000 square foot home. We drove wow. you know, nothing, nothing but uh, Mercedes-Benz vehicles. Later on, when I uh, got a little older and got my license, I drove a, a monster Hummer with TVs in it and just lived the lifestyle 
the problem was we were living on people's donations. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a noble thing. We were uh, pilfering the coffers, so to speak. And uh, that presents a various amount of challenges, of course, uh, both biblically, ethically. Uh, but our theology was built to benefit ourselves. And so uh, in traveling and doing all those things, we lived a life. And uh, growing up after high school, I was going to go play baseball in college. And part of the theology of word of faith beliefs is that if you sow a seed of faith, God will bless you with what you want. Mm -hmm. And so instead of going to college right away, I sowed a seed of faith by serving my Uncle Benny and working in his ministry. And so I uh, worked within the inner circles of Benny Hinn Ministries and uh, went around the world and traveled with him. Uh, when we traveled, we traveled on a G4 private plane, mm-hmm. and uh, we drove our our chauffeur vehicles for things like Bentleys and uh, Rolls Royces and all of the above. And we stayed at hotels upwards of $25,000 a night, wow. all on donations. And so uh, what we offered people was a false gospel, false hope, false healing. And what we got in return was a lot of wealth. And long-term, I think there were a lot of questions. And we knew at certain times that maybe we were stretching the limits, but we justified it constantly by twisting the Bible and slapping the theology on our methodology in order to make it okay to do what we were doing. Well, and I think that um, the people listening to this and myself, for for sure, I think the best part of the story, though, is how you came out of it, that, that you were right in the heart of word faith. And you don't get any more word faith than that. But, but the Lord saved you out of it. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about how, like, how did he draw you out of that and, 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 and bring you to repentance and, and to where you are now as a, a pastor of a small church in Southern California? Yeah, great question. I, it was being actually, when I graduated uh, from college, I had actually ended up going to play baseball. And after working for my uncle, the college I ended up at, uh, of events was Dallas Baptist University. And we had always considered the Baptist pretty dangerous. Okay. <laughs> Uh, kind of bad news for our belief system. And so I was warned before going to watch out, you know, that they might ruin me and fill me with all that head knowledge. <laughs> and uh, they did. My first New Testament class was uh, an interesting ride as I went through the New Testament. And uh, my professor was a great guy and he was patient and kind with me. He knew my background and my last name. And mm-hmm. uh, those people were incredible. Dallas Baptist University staff, the coaching staff of my baseball team, uh, all of the above, they were big time in the disciple making. And so I got Bible, Bible, and more Bible. Doesn't get better than that. <laughs> no, it, it really doesn't. And I, I'll put it this way. That began to put cracks in the dam of my theology. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, and slowly things began to leak. Uh, after I got out of school, I met my now wife, who is pregnant with our third child. We're about to have a third kid. And Congratulations. She, thanks, man. Yeah, we're excited. And uh, she came from a completely different background. To contrast it for you, I drove a Hummer, like I told you. She mm-hmm. drove a Toyota Yaris. 
Okay. Um, we, we were prosperity gospel. She was working as a server at TGI Fridays to pay her own way through university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her father, my father-in-law is an iron worker. My mother-in-law is a school teacher. And like you couldn't script this any better. She was completely opposite and had no clue about who my uncle was. So, uh, well, there was a problem because she didn't speak in tongues. She didn't, uh, in our belief system, have the Holy Spirit because she did not manifest his presence by speaking in other tongues. And so we set out to fix her. And I really wanted to marry her. And the, the only way I could was to begin to work on her uh, behaviors as far as the charismatic manifestations. And so uh, we took her to my uncle's crusade. My dad had a service. We went to this youth conference where this woman tried to get her to speak in tongues and help her. And man, she tried everything. She fell trying to be slain in the spirit. She put her little hands in the air and was babbling, trying to like say, ba 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 and do it all. And I, I just remember one day we were driving home together, uh, back to my parents' place. And we're sitting in the car and she's just crying and she can't figure out what's wrong with her. And all along she was being told, you need to get this, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we just had never really studied the Bible on these topics. So one day the pressure is reaching a boiling point. We're wondering if we're going to be able to, live near my family, do ministry with my family. We're wondering what's wrong with my wife still. And uh, sure enough, we begin to study the scriptures. And 1 Corinthians 12, 30 sticks out where Paul says, not all do they, and he's referring to tongues and healing and interpretation of tongues. He's explaining that not everybody's going to do this. Not everybody's getting these gifts. And I, I remember us looking at each other and thinking, like, sweetheart, I, I think we're off the hook. We might be we might be good. And that led us to questioning what else might be fake or false. What else is unbiblical? What does the Bible say about healing? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about marriage? And we, we just began to study. And I hadn't got really, really deep into doctrine at that point. Most of it was just enough to prove my family wrong that we don't have to speak in tongues. It wasn't like I suddenly started calling my uncle a false prophet and telling my dad that, you know, I'm a, I'm a cessationist and this and that. It, none of that. I didn't mm-hmm. even know what those words were. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know any, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what a continuist was. Anything. I just knew no more tongues and no more spiritual abuse of this gal that I'm going to marry. Mm-hmm. Well, the ministry that we were involved with was my father's and there was a fork in the road for us. I got an offer that literally the same week I was marrying my wife, we were offered a position at the church here in California. And it was a church plant. I was going to be the youth pastor and we jumped on it and started our life together. And within the first few months, the pastor said, hey, Kosti, I need you to preach, cover the pulpit for me. Uh, Our church was young. We were kind of gunslinger, wild, wild west type. And uh, so it wasn't a big deal. No one really cared about my last name. I was just this young guy who wanted to learn, wanted to help the church. The church was, we were much more in the attractional kind of entrepreneurial megachurch approach. We were were growing fast. Mm -hmm. And 
topical and very shallow. Um, and so it fits. But, it but was, more of a good. standard evangelical kind of thing? like a Totally. Yeah. Okay. No, no weird stuff for sure. Okay, so you're kind and, of kind of maybe a Rick Warren type, type church. Sure, or? like you, yeah, I'm like middle of the road at this point, and mm-hmm. it's better than it's better than where I was. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a step forward. Yeah, and all of a sudden, my pastor comes and says, "Hey, we're going to start preaching through a book of the Bible. We're going to go verse by oh, verse. Cool. It's called expository preaching." We're going okay, whatever <laughs> sounds good. Um. Next thing you know, the church's name changes from we were called Moment Church, and it changed. It was a real trendy kind of hipster thing. Yeah, and then it turns into Mission Bible Church. We're going what? And then all of a sudden, we were, you know, joining an association of Bible churches. And I'm going what in the world? Okay, and we're all <laughs> learning, and, and I'm starting to hear names like Charles Spurgeon. And oh, cool. I'm going who's that? who's that? And so. Uh, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all the rest. And we begin to learn about some church history and the direction that our church was going to go. And we're all on board. We start this sermon series in the book of John and Pastor Tony, who's my co-author with the with the book we'll talk about, yep. says, I need you to preach. I think your text in a few weeks is John 5, 1 through 17, you know, this should help. And he gives me a commentary. Mm-hmm. It's a John MacArthur commentary. And the text that I'm going to preach is the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And man, I'll tell you what, right there in the study, just going verse by verse, making observations, I see that Jesus healed one guy out of a multitude. And I'm going, that's different. Mm-hmm. We always told everybody they're going to be healthy. We always promised healing to everyone and said, it's God's will for you all to be healed now. and Jesus healed one. All right, that's really out there. Then Jesus healed the man immediately. There was no process, no music, no limping, no barely healed. It was 100% organic, undeniable. The man was healed. Mm-hmm. And finally, the Pharisees come after and say, hey, man, who told you you can pick up your pallet and walk? And this guy goes, uh, the guy who healed me did, because in the Bible says he didn't know who Jesus was. And there it is right there. Mm -hmm. He didn't have enough faith to be healed. He didn't even know who Jesus was. There was nothing extra special about him. It was just that God was sovereign. And all the things that I learned at my Baptist school kind of flooded my mind. Mm -hmm. And I had heard about the sovereignty of God at Dallas Baptist. And I had realized that what my wife and I had been taught about tongues was false. So more dominoes begin to fall in that moment in the office that I'm sitting talking to you right now. Uh, I begin to weep. I was crying out to God, repenting. I said, I'm so sorry. I, I knew that I had been a part of all the greed and the false teaching. And I told the Lord out loud in my office, I will serve you all the days of my life. I'm committed to doing whatever you want me to do. I'll preach the gospel faithfully. And I'll serve this church and do whatever the church wants and whatever you want. Um, and I repented of my sin and turned completely to the Praise truth. God. And after that, yeah, I, I went from being a pastor to being pastor in training. Mm-hmm. I entered seminary. This is five years ago. I entered seminary. Um, I got into counseling, mentorship, discipleship. I mean, you name it, I was there. And I just 
wanted to learn and grow because I had been so deceived. And so uh, I went through what I would call. You had the Holy Spirit all of a sudden, right? Absolutely. I I call it, I went through what I would call charismatic PTSD. (laughs) You're coming out of that spiritual abuse. And uh, that's not to say that everybody who's a Pentecostal or charismatic or open to certain things is is a heretic or that everybody's abused if they're a Pentecostal. Uh, You know that we don't need to broad brush everybody. But for me personally, that was the situation and God saved me. And here we are five years later and uh, just trying to help people and spread the gospel the way that people have done for me. Well, praise God. And I was thinking as you're talking about your church's experience, that that had to have been a, a wonderful thing to go through as a church, to be to go from such shallow theology to just steadily, uh, little by little, as a congregation, get deeper into the Word and, uh, and, and to mature together like that. It had to have been a, a wonderful experience. I know my own church did something like that, but it was long before I started. Uh, they kind of went through that phase back in about the 80s or early 90s. And, yeah, it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful to watch. We lost a lot of people. We were mm-hmm. the church was speaking up to like three hundred. Um, yeah. We lost a lot of people and went down to somewhere in the neighborhood of the hundreds, yeah. like the one hundred markers of one hundred to one twenty, somewhere in there. Which, hey, that's still a great sized church in a lot of places. But when yeah. you lose half your people, um, that's that's a challenge. And I can tell you, this isn't boasting like in numbers. Numbers just, it, they are what they are. Yeah. But we're, we're preaching the Bible in Orange County. We are complementarian. We are unapologetic on marriage and on uh, charismatic chaos and all of those things. We are very, very much uh, conservative. Mm-hmm. And we are peaking over 500 now in Orange County. Wow. So. That's that again. I'm not boasting in numbers. No, I'm no. telling you though that where the word is preached, whether it's five more coming or five hundred more coming, the sheep are going to go where the word is being Absolutely. preached. Where yep. they be said. So, um, I just by way of praise, we lost people by obedience to the word, and I'm so grateful to say that the Lord has has replaced and brought more people. Who want the word of God in our area? Yeah, no, I, I hear five hundred, and I think, well, that's wonderful. There's those are our saints being fed. That's that's great. Okay. And uh, so um, the kind of the meat of what we were going to discuss was that you, you mentioned your book. You just did. Is it out yet? Um, or coming out yeah. soon? Um, yep, it's it's out uh, now. Um, it came out last week. The book okay. is called "Defining Deception." Freeing the church from the mystical miracle movement. And we basically take everybody through a history mm-hmm. of what we're seeing today. So let's kind of name some names here. If you think of Jesus Culture, Bethel Church, Bill Johnson, the third wave is another term. Yep. Uh, the New Apostolic Reformation, C. Peter Wagner, uh, all of the, that crew is rooted not in orthodox theology they're rooted in heretical teaching and so what we've done in small words a short book it's not it's academically researched but it is not academic language it's very simple for people we're simple guys we're not trying to confuse people or act smart with big words we want it to be simple 
people can read it and begin to ask big questions. Like, is Bethel Church and Bill Johnson and Jesus Culture, all these famous mainstream movements now that have infiltrated evangelicalism, are they teaching a biblical gospel and a biblical Jesus? Spoiler alert, I'll save you <laughs> time as you read through the 198 pages with appendices and the bibliography. The answer is no, he's not. And But we don't just say that flippantly or to attack anyone. It's research and there's evidence. So we'll take you through the history of uh, the most divisive and heretical teachers and abusive teachers that you need to be watching out for if your pastors or leaders call them heroes of the faith. We'll yeah. explain that. Um, we also delineate in the book between what is Pentecostal, what is charismatic or charismatic renewal, what is the third wave, what is the new apostolic reformation, and we wanted to be even-handed with how, how we approach the topic because uh, we've got Pentecostal friends that are not heretic, yeah, and they believe in the biblical version of Jesus. We just have different positions on certain gifts of the Spirit, and yeah. so. Uh, that is, we're really clear. That chapter is called Rupture in the Third Way. We're really clear. And then um, we talk about stage sharing in the modern shady world where guys like my uncle and Bill Johnson and Todd Bentley and Todd White and Gateway Church, a lot of these movements are beginning to intertwine and share the stage together, uh, supporting the doctrines that are false. Yeah, I put in my own notes here that that chapter kind of describes a form of like circular endorsements that that everybody just was in within the circle, all endorsing each other, trying to let each other further credibility. Absolutely. And after that, we lay out the manipulation and the doctrinal deception that is happening out of Bethel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We use all their books, all of their material. We didn't make this stuff up. and. and so it's there. And then the final chapter we're really excited about is called True Healing. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit's work, what is and what isn't true, what is real, what does he do, why does he exist, what's his purpose, and what's the real gospel. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty excited, man. I, I'm, yeah, I'm I, really getting a lot of emails about it already. It's good. You sent me a, a review copy and uh, to, to kind of get ready for tonight and kind of know, uh, have a little bit of direction in our discussion and stuff. And um it's I'm a slow reader. I've got four kids myself and um, they keep me busy. So uh, yeah. I, you know, I was about a, a chapter a day at best, sometimes a chapter every two or three days, but uh, I, I loved it. And it, it's a great book. Um, I think I mentioned before we started that I've covered a lot of the topics uh, in the past in, in different ways with different people. Um, you're friends with Justin Peters and uh, just, yeah. Justin's done a few shows with me and um Sandy Simpson um, used to be out in Hawaii. I think he might be in North Carolina now. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a number of years since I talked to him, but um, I did my own pastor and I did a show on uh, Bill Johnson just exclusively. We talked about Bill Johnson and um, and then Lyndon Unger was on with me a, a couple of years ago. We talked about, he called it the renewal movement. And and when he, he, he gave it that term, it was kind of to lump as much together as he could, but he didn't want to draw, um, you know, you, you talked about the distinction between, um, Pentecostal and, uh, and some of this third wave stuff. And, and he didn't want to include yeah. some of the more, um, sane Pentecostals 
who who do yeah. uh, adhere to a, a true gospel and that. But um, uh, so it, it's a it's a subject that comes up a lot, and and it's good because I know a lot of people are either affected by it or they know somebody who's, who's affected by it, and and that's why it keeps coming mm-hmm. back for me anyway. Um, it, I I really enjoyed, and it was kind of earlier in your book. Uh, I think it was the second chapter. You called it Hall of Generals, and you talk about uh, some of the history, and that was something that I talked about a little bit with Lyndon, and he he had a little bit um, different take on things, not contradictory at all, but um, I enjoy some of that stuff. I I really like history. Yeah, and uh, so it was good, and maybe we could just talk about that for a few minutes. Let's you get into. I think you go about back about a hundred years, maybe one hundred and fifty years. Yeah, we go back to Parham. So you're looking at probably, if you were to just a big round number, say the, the year 1900, we're going back about 120 if we're getting mm-hmm. close to 2020. Um, in that range, yeah. Yeah, so, so you said Parham. He, he kind of kicked off a lot of what we know today to be word faith and new apostolic. Yeah, Charles Parham would be kind of your main guy who uh, – was as far back as we wanted to go, you could go back further. There's certainly evidence for that. There's a ton more. Uh, when you reach back into the 1800s, there was divergent teaching and divergent teachers. But yeah. uh, for sake of simplicity for people, because the book's not a, a, a history book, right. um, it's got history in it. We decided to start with Parham. Uh, he was a guy who had a lot of... Uh, there was just a lot of sketchy evidence with him and false teaching. Bottom line, he was the guy who rejected uh, Methodism. He broke off. There were a lot of warning signs with him. A lot of his counsel was saying, you're going too far. You can't teach that. And uh, he's called the father of the apostolic faith or the father of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And Parham had ties to the KKK, we begin to research and unfold. I mean, there were a ton of things. But if you just stuck to not even his character um, or associations, but his teaching, he's one of the main historical figures that taught that tongues would have been evidence of salvation. Uh, He would change his positions based on pushback. An example, later on in his ministry, he started to waggle on the tongues position. but everything he did is rooted in, uh, I would say, early, early, early word of faith or Pentecostal theology, uh, and even prosperity theology, that God wants you healthy, he wants you to be blessed. Uh, but more than anything, what he did is pave the way for divergent teaching on the gifts, divergent teaching on tongues, divergent teaching on healing, and that's what gives credence and, and a lot of a platform to the prosperity preachers today. And another thing that he did is he had a healing home. And if you think of Bethel Church with their healing rooms now, Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff that we see today, Parham instituted. He, He started a ton of that. And ironically, him and his wife started the Bethel Healing Room in Topeka, Kansas. And to this day, you can find it. There's an effort by some fundraisers to even revamp and relaunch the Parham healing rooms in Kansas. Uh, And he actually taught William Seymour, who, if you know the Azusa Street Revival, uh, 
William Seymour was another one who was okay. a dangerous guy. Uh, when we look back as Pentecostals, at least when I was in that movement, Seymour and Parham are giants in the faith. Uh, but we know that what they taught was not biblical, and the evidence gives a lot of proof there. The so one that he, I want to talk about—oh, oh, I was going to say, so he'd be one of the, the, the big heroes of the Word of Faith movement? Yeah, and and I would say not just not he, mostly Pentecostalism. The Word of okay. Faith movement is going to link back to E. W. Kenyon, and another guy that we talked about is Kenneth Hagen. He yeah. is where he plagiarized E. W. Kenyon and took all that and made it modern day Word of Faith teaching. And then Kenneth Copeland, who we all know now as yeah. the billionaire Word of Faith preacher, uh, took he studied under Hagen. But the one that is, I think, most misunderstood today is Smith Wigglesworth. He is revered as a hero, and he is considered a general in the faith when it comes to healing the third wave, the NAR. They -hmm. look back at Wigglesworth, and he's the guy that they want to be. And I can tell you, Andy, when I was younger, he was who I wanted to be because he was a risk taker. Okay. He was kind of a guy that was counterculture. He was a wild. And we looked at him, and I remember my dad and I would talk about him often. And I thought, man, that guy is out there. He's pushing the limit. And my dad and I would talk about how he's like Peter, you know, the guy who's willing to jump over the side <laughs> of the boat and follow Jesus and take ready. risks and do yeah, ready, fire, stuff. aim kind of guy. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we'll explain to people with Wigglesworth's own words, how he assaulted the sick. And he would say that he was punching, slapping, or hitting people to knock the devil out of them. And he was assaulting their sickness and not them. That sounds like, uh, like Todd Bentley. I was going to say, that's exactly where Todd Bentley finds his inspiration. It's where mm-hmm. a lot of modern day guys do. and. Uh, Unless you do the research and go find this stuff for yourself, people won't know. I didn't know for decades. Mm-hmm. And even people that I love dearly had no idea. And so uh, he devastated the landscape. He dominated the UK. And so, yeah, while you have Parham and Seymour doing some damage over here, Wigglesworth is hitting hard in the UK, giving way uh, all around the same time. Amy Simple McPherson is going big in LA. She's kind of more your, your attractional wild gal. The leading lady of the time was famous for her flamboyant sermons and her props and her theatrics in the pulpit. And she, she was another one who taught that tongues were essential. Healing was guaranteed in the atonement. Um, certainly the founder of the four square movement and not everything they teach is heretical. Yes, Jesus is the coming king, and certainly he's the savior. That's one of their their tenets. But the other two, you get four square. They have four big beliefs that are kind of like pillars. Um, the two that are way off is that Jesus is uh, the baptizer, and of course he is, but that is to say that he baptizes people with the Holy Spirit, and the evidence of that is tongues, which we know uh, is not a guarantee for all, and not what is always synonymous with being baptized in 
Uh, and I would even go further to say, not just not always, but it, it's not even. You are baptized into the body at conversion, not because you speak in tongues. And then they teach that Jesus is healer and that healing is guaranteed in the atonement, which we should add is in heaven, like the glorified body we're promised, mm-hmm. like the treasure of heaven we're promised, and like the eternal life we're promised. But I don't have a glorified body now. I'm not living in eternity now. Those are promises that are guaranteed, but they come after in eternity. And very similarly, Yes, sickness is guaranteed in the atonement, but that doesn't guarantee it now on earth. That means that in heaven, there is no sickness, there is no tears, there is no pain, and Christ did buy that through the atonement, if you want to use their word. Um, but, yeah, you that was one of the most abusive teachings that I grew up under that you see historically in the charismatic movement, mm-hmm. and it messes people up because they wonder if they're less, if they don't have enough faith why they're sick still, and it's just a fact that James 1-2 is in the Bible for a reason. There's going to be trials, and there's going to be sickness, and you see Paul preach to the Galatians with an affliction. Um, There's no guarantee on earth that we'll all be healed because of the atonement. There is a guarantee in heaven that we're all going to be healed because of the atonement, and so uh, any simple and others took that way too far. Well, and that tends to be a, uh, I know Justin Peters likes to talk about how that ends up being a very inconsistent teaching uh, because you'll end up, if you took that to its logical conclusion, the people who teach it should never need to wear eyeglasses, for instance. Because, Absolutely. Or uh, yep. you know, they, they do get sick and they do, um, they do definitely see the effects of aging and uh, the de- de- deterioration that we go through in life uh, as a result of sin. Yep, you're absolutely right. I think that's where uh, I'll take you real quick to a moment that rocked me to my core is when my mother uh, got a tumor on her pituitary gland back in 2008. Our family was rocked, absolutely rocked. And we didn't have answers. The doctors went in, and she was healed because of the doctors. Yeah. But uh, our theology didn't work, and that's why we must always let the Bible be our standard. Mm-hmm. I filter every experience through the text. I don't take my experience and slap them on the text. I take the text, and that is the filter through which all experiences run. So uh, if I see that there are apostles who are sick, or, uh, you know, Trophimus is left sick at Miletus, the end of Second Timothy, or that people are left sick for decades before Jesus heals them, well then, and that he only heals one, let's say at the Pool of Bethesda, use that one as an example. Mm-hmm. There were other times he healed everybody. Um, that is that... There is a guarantee that heaven is where there will be no sickness, but I don't suddenly take, you know, the principle of healing, uh, the guarantee of Christ's atoning death, and turn it into a ministry now, telling everybody, you know, if you're not healed, the problem isn't God, 
The problem is your faith. Mm-hmm. Just tap into what the atonement has already guaranteed you. Try telling that to Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. And that's because the Bible is already really clear. So uh, we just want to help people not indict the charismatic movement, but trace these teachings back, uh, you know, uh, basically a hundred plus years to see this isn't new. These debates are not new. We're not bringing some new thing to the table. Uh, we are bringing back these dead men and women who were once regarded as heretics to show people the stuff happening now is just a new face on an old heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know we can't go as long as I normally do, and so I want to respect your time. But there's a, there's a couple things I want to get to before I have to let you go. Um, one is, well, first of all, we talked about how the book, you've got seven chapters, but then you got a bunch of appendices and, um, there's a lot of good stuff in the appendices, uh, almost should have been, I, I I guess if I were your editor, I I almost would have suggested don't call it an appendix, just call it chapters eight through 12. But, (laughs) um, you, you had mentioned, um, tongues a few times in our conversation and you have an appendix on on tongues so can we talk a little bit about where you are now in in regards to tongues and um clearly you're you're not where you were under your uncle um what what does the bible teach as you see it about tongues well first of all my position is that biblically speaking tongues were known languages known Mm -hmm. foreign languages. So uh, now I get it because I've been in this game a little while. I understand that there are other positions and guys are going to come to the table and say, well, I I think this, I think that, I think this, and I think that. But you you slice this pie biblically and you're not going to end up with ecstatic utterances that are babble like we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. That's what you don't don't end up with. So my position is that when you see the word glossa in the Word of God uh, some 114 times, uh, maybe even more, those are the ones I've counted Mm -hmm. uh, in study, it means foreign languages. And so uh, the joke I always say is, you know, when the Bible talks about tongues, there's a a real uh, deep meaning here. It is, it means, it means known language and people kind of always laugh. We just... (laughs) It's as simple as it is. Um, so that's my position. My other position would be that uh, the gift has ceased in studying 1 Corinthians 13, 8, when you see that tongues will cease. I would let somebody argue uh, for prophecy and for other things in other ways, but uh, in the original language, and this was something I, I've encouraged a lot of young men and young women even to do is go study. If you're going to seminary or other places, go study the original languages and begin to look at the significance of uh, when you're parsing a Greek word. But for tongues to cease, being in the middle reflective, that means that it's actually self-fading. It will self-fade. It'll act upon itself. Like a battery, it's given a life, and it will eventually run out. Um, of all the gifts that I would argue for ceasing, and I, I am a cessationist and um, understand the debate rages on, but with tongues, out of all the gifts I would argue the most for tongues 
having ceased, its use fulfilled in the Bible, and we don't see its purpose today. Um, and certainly, when you take the isolated event of Pentecost and the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy at Pentecost, I'm, I see that in the Bible, and I just don't see a model for us going to the altar and receiving the gift of tongues, having our hands laid on people to give them the gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. And what you see is the gift of tongues associated with the Word of God going forth, the gospel assigned to unbelieving Jews. I mean, there's specific context if you're dealing with both Acts, the Acts account of Pentecost and tongues, and then the gift of tongues. And more than anything, Andy, I, I've boiled down uh, in private conversations with dear friends this one thing. If you put the debate on the shelf and you pull up from your exegesis and your historical arguments and all of it, I sometimes make the the, the joke, and I, I mean it seriously, but we often say, well, you can't use experience to debate. Your experience doesn't count if you can't go Bible. But I'll talk to my Pentecostal and charismatic friends sometimes and say, all right, so let's put all the let's put the text aside for a moment and let's use experience. Can anybody show me? somebody wielding the gift of tongues at will, well, you don't know, Kosti, some people might be in the jungles of Papua New Guinea speaking in tongues. I say, okay, but do they come home speaking in tongues? Where are they? And when it comes to healing, having the gift of healing, wielding it, healing at will, uh, if there are healers who wield that gift, then Every church has a teacher, a preacher. We've got mercy gifts, admin gifts, all of the above. There needs to be a fantasy draft pool of healers, <laughs> and every church should get one. Um, but God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't make this stuff hard. He gives gifts. They are purposeful. The Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes them, and we are not seeing the normative outworking of the sign gifts, which would be kind of the miraculous gifts today. Um, so I hold a non-normative view on those things. Mm-hmm. And I, I get emailed about once a month from somebody telling me that I'm jaded uh, because I went the other extreme. And I, I love I love everybody. I love my yeah. Pentecostal brothers who have different positions, but um, you can't you can't babble and call that what Paul was doing. You just right. can't. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for that. I I tend to hold a very similar position myself, and so I um, appreciate that perspective. Uh, I again, I want to respect your time. I think we're kind of running short, but before we go, I, the one thing I really do want to make sure I hit on is I I wanted to ask you what you think is uh, the most dangerous thing within this whole uh, Pentecostal charismatic third wave. Um, movement right now, I guess for lack of a better word. What what should uh, what should people be more most careful of? What should parents be most aware of for their kids and whatnot? Yeah, I'll I'll hit on I'll hit on a few things we talked about even off air and you know, we, we can do this again in the future. I'd love to talk more about some of the other issues. But um you know this this idea that we're gonna usher in the kingdom and make the world uh 
a perfect place and hand it over to Jesus. You and I talked about theonomy and yeah. um, some of the kingdom now dominionism. Sure, that is erroneous and it's dangerous, but I don't even make, I wouldn't put that as number one. Um, the idea that we should seek out healing or even people babbling in tongues, I still don't put that one at the top. I would say the number one heretical issue that we need to be concerned about is Christology. That is a hill we die on. That mm-hmm. is the doctrine of Christ. And Bill Johnson, on page 29 of his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, says that Jesus performed his miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, dot, 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 this is a verbatim quote, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. And so Bill Johnson has built his Christology on a historical heresy. It's linked to Arianism, which I don't think we have time to go through the historical heresies on Christology, but just entertain me for one minute. Yeah. If you believe in a Jesus who laid aside his divinity at any time and wasn't truly God and truly man, as R.C. Sproul puts it, you have a false Christ. A mm-hmm. Jesus who wasn't God the whole time is a Jesus who can't save you. Yeah. And a Jesus that just did a bunch of miracles as a man anointed or in right relationship with God, therefore you can do them too, is not a Jesus who could be the adequate substitute for you and I as sinners. Um, so the Christological heresies are the most dangerous. I'm not saying that nothing else is dangerous. You could take them all. No, I totally agree. Bad. Yeah. But people are going to go, people are not going to go to hell for babbling in tongues. Right. I know it'll bother some of my cessationist friends, and I'm mm-hmm. with you. It bothers me. It's weird. It doesn't really match the Bible, but we could let that go. What isn't okay is a false Christ. That mm-hmm. will send people to hell, and that's what concerns me the most. It's why we wrote the book. Very well said. Kosti, thanks so much for your time. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, talking with me and sharing with the audience um, both your experience and uh, the book is a big thing. It's I know it's what you put a lot of effort into recently. Um, where can people find that? Where where do you point people? Uh, yep, you can go to Amazon.com and type in "Defining Deception." Okay. We are right now. I'm very very thankful to all of you who are already buying the book and and spreading it around. Um, we we're floored. It right now says number one in Christian pneumatology on Amazon. So uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit, people are buying the book and, and, awesome. and studying it. So we're really excited. It's on there. Um, a lot of good men, wise men, older men who are better than us and have been doing this way better, way longer, have endorsed the book. So we're very, very proud mm-hmm. uh, to say that um, they've endorsed it because we wouldn't have written it <laughs> if faithful men didn't endorse it. I don't want to yeah. be in left field. I've already been out there in the crazy land. Sure. So uh, I want to be where you are, Andy, and where the other men are who are faithful. So yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, so this will be, this is episode 118, com slash 118. And I'll put a link down in the, uh, it'll be the number one under additional resources towards the bottom will be the link to the Amazon.com uh, where you can buy it. And then 
that'll be an affiliate link. So if you want to help Echo Zoe and help Costi, um, you can buy through my link and then, you know, he'll get the royalties from the book and I'll get a little bit of affiliate credit. So um, that's one way to get it. Um, yeah, I, I know I want to uh, wrap up and let you get going, but uh, I, I'm so thankful for your time and for your ministry and, and uh, your story. And it's, it's wonderful to hear another saint saved. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Andy. Let's talk soon. Yeah, well. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 118. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 118. I really enjoyed talking to Costi, and I could have easily gone another hour with him if only time had allowed. However, the next best thing to a longer interview is links to other interviews Costi has been doing recently. At the time that I'm posting this, uh, there are links to a show called uh, The Bald Calvinist with uh, my friend Stephen Melanson. There's also one with Chris Rosebro. He has uh, an interview with Costi on YouTube. And those are in the additional resources section of the show notes. Costi also said that he was on Wretched with Todd Friel, but that is not going to post until uh, probably next week sometime. And I'm posting this on February 17th. So uh, in the coming week when that one airs, I'll post the link for that as well. All three of those are great shows, and I'd recommend them all, even aside from having Costi on. And right below those links are about a dozen more links related to episodes from the Echozoe Radio archives. Check out those as well, and if you haven't heard them all, there's bound to be something there that piques your interest further. Be sure to check out the website for links to connect with Echozoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, or circle Echozoe Ministries. Also, don't forget to check out Echo Zoe Answers. That show depends on your questions, so don't just tune in. Send your questions as well. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the March episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 